Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Chad Whitfeld. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolute pleasure, buddy. I'm looking forward to this uh, show, and I think it's going to be a good and exciting one. Why don't we start off with a brief description or a long description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there? Absolutely. Um, it's it's quite quite been quite the journey for sure. Um, like I said, my name is Chad Whitfeld. Been a serial entrepreneur ever since I was a kid. Believe it or not, my very first business I ever started was at the age of 16. And it started just by um, calling a couple buddies up and saying, hey, meet me here with all the gardening tools in your parents' garage. And that, that was my first business as a landscaper, right? Now, multiple years and iterations ever since then, we've gotten to a lot of different opportunity vehicles, such as real estate and um also uh, working with a lot of uh, companies online as well. So quite an eclectic journey so far. Okay, you say you're, you're working with a, a few companies online. Like like what kind of companies? Like, uh, or, or, yeah, like what kind of companies? What, what exactly uh, did you get into roughly? Yeah, so we do a lot in the real estate investment uh, space from uh, reggae funds as well as education. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, uh, the online stuff is not necessarily, uh, yeah, okay. So, you know what, I, what I'm thinking when somebody says online, I think e-commerce and I'm thinking, wow, that's quite yeah. a portfolio. But no, no, that makes sense. It's sort of in the space of where you got into, you know, offline as I'll call it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so you got into real estate investing and all that. Now, why? Like, why? Yeah, exactly. That's really my question. It's that simple. Why? Yeah. So when I first moved here, to, I'm, well, I'm in Colorado right now. I'm going through another transition of life. But um, when I first moved here, I got linked in with a group of guys who were buying apartment buildings. And um, we started doing deals together and bought my first apartment building with them at the age of 23. And it's really just been kind of growing ever since then. So I've um, done quite a few deals on the GP side, general partnership done quite a few deals on the limited partnership as a passive investor. Um, and then, yeah, just really found and honed in on my skill sets, building out um, acquisition funnels and systems. Um, and so started working with other real estate companies that allowed me to put my skills to the test and become an equity partner in, in other deals too. So um, yeah, it's just a fun model. It's just been a really fun model. So I've, I've stuck to it, you know. Got it. Now, just for everybody watching and listening, if you're going around complaining that you don't make enough money and you don't know how people buy real estate, become a landscaper at age 16 and you'll earn enough to save to buy real estate. Because clearly that's the formula. Every landscaper I know buys real estate. So that's the that's formula. That's funny. No. Don't look at me because I did it all wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have to make a light out of it sometimes, right? No, that, that's awesome. I mean, what's mesmerizing me is that you had the... Uh, the thought, right? Like most 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds, even up to 25 are not thinking, let's, uh, let's do something that earns money, save my money so I can invest it and build some form of portfolio. Yeah. They're thinking, okay, I'm going to save for my Ferrari. I'm going to buy myself my own house so I can have a bunch of chicks over and then I'm going to go on vacation for the rest of my life. And then reality sets in. You were like the <laughs> polar opposite. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the reality is, I I grew up super low, like middle to lower class as a kid, and I started working at this country club, and 
um, I'll never forget it. Like that's, that's where the first business spawned. I, this guy was at the bar of the country club I worked at complaining that he had to get home to finish his yard or his wife was going to tan his hide. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, what, what, what's your address? Let me come take a look at that. I bet you we can take care of something. And so I just saw opportunity at a young age that most people didn't see, right? Being able to look at opportunity and solve problems put yourself in the in the equation of a transaction and like i said growing up middle class you know my my dad was picking me up and dropping me off in a chevy malibu well you know these guys come pulling up to the country club in the brand new ferraris the maseratis etc right they they were all they all owned something or directed something right and so that's what at a very young age i got really exposed to the entrepreneurial and investment mindset and being able to think differently to have more control over my inputs and my outputs. Yeah, I think we all get exposed to that. Or when I say all, all lower middle class, right? That's what I mean. Like we're not used to being surrounded by that. And then usually those things, uh, and it doesn't help our upbringing. Let's be honest. What is the typical lower or middle class upbringing? Go to school so you can get a good education, so you can get a good job, you can get that white picket fence, you can get married, have kids, save your money, so then you can retire, and then you can go on vacation and do whatever you want. And the reality of it is, most people don't end up even making it that far. Like, right. and what I mean is that you get to retirement and realize that you barely survived with the money you were making while you were earning money, and you have even less to retire on. And now the contradiction is, oh yeah, but you're gonna have less for that, but you're spending less because you're not driving to work. It wasn't the point of spending less. How do you vacation when you have less? The whole thing was vacation when you retire, and now you're saying live on less. How is that possible? Right. right? So so it was it was one of those things. I believe this whole thing was created. Now it was created out of love. Let's be clear. I'm not bashing parents, I'm not bashing the past. It was created out of love. What ended up happening is most people, we're going to talk more than likely looking at your age and all that is probably your great grandparents, where it have been my parents or grandparents, where they came up in war-torn countries or war-torn times where bombs were flying everywhere. And, you know, it was just generally a poverty spot where people moved and established a life somewhere else. And then they built up their life, redid it. And what's the mentality? I'm suffering now, and I'm going to make sure my kids never suffer like I did. And then what happens? Work became available in factories. How do we get people to do factory work? How do we get people to do the basic jobs? Ah, now this strategy came up. We'll pay you lots of money. You get educated, go to school. You get that education, you can come and work for us. You go to school, you work in the offices. You don't go to school, you work in the factory. Either way, those factory workers are uh, are being you know put in you know put to work, and then right. they get a better life than the grandparents then you know what? That was a hard life. My kids are going to do better than I did. I don't want them to suffer the way I did. So that message keeps getting repeated and it becomes more and more and more school. And and here we are today where that model is broken. But the point is not everybody sees opportunity. That's why I believe, I believe everybody can become a business owner, but not everybody's made to be a business owner. Not everyone. I believe you either have it or you don't. You can become a business owner, but not an entrepreneur. And there's a difference between that. And I mean, it might be slight, but there is a difference. Oh, so, for sure. Yeah. So I'm impressed with the fact that you were able to see the opportunity. You acted on it. You saw it. You didn't just let it pass by. You did something with it. So kudos to you for that. <laughs> yeah. I think on the, <clears throat> just to something to unpack on that, like from the business owner perspective, 
have this conversation with my buddies all the time. Like, the, and I just think that it doesn't. This doesn't really get talked about enough in the whole entrepreneurial space. Is like you can own a business, but not be a business owner. Like, if you can't leave your company for six months and still stay on the same trajectory of revenue with you outside of the company, you're an employee. You're an employee to your. You're an employee to your business. You're not an owner, right? And that's fine. Like, you know, that's okay. But just understanding that it's part of the game, right? It, it doesn't happen. I, and I've seen this time and time again, too. Like, I've, I've seen people also remove themselves from their company too soon. They didn't have the right systems. They didn't have the right team. They didn't right have the KPI tracking in place, etc. They leave, they get focused on something else. They start taking more vacations. They said, you know, do all these things. They look back six months later, their business went to, went to, went to crap, you know? Yeah. Hang on. I want to touch upon something here. You mentioned some key nuggets here. KPIs for anybody watching it stands for key performance indicators. And one thing you you brought up is what you just described is that a lot of times people get into something because they want to do better, but what do they want to do better at? They become better consumers. And the problem is, well, the problem is that you're becoming a consumer. The worst thing you could do is be a consumer. Don't be the consumer, be the investor, right? Everyone thinks I'm going to earn my way to riches. And I'm telling you that now, if you're watching this, mark my words and you can prove me wrong if you like and power to you. I hope you do, but nobody earns the way to wealth. They invest their way to wealth. And that's the key component. Everyone, we all got that wrong because we all think we're going to earn it. And here's what I mean. You're not going to, you can make a million dollars a year, but if you're, first of all, that million dollars gets taxed. We'll say 50% because that's past the hundred thousand that gets the 30% or 40% or whatever the hell it is. So you're at at a million dollars. If you're in the US, that's about 50%. If you're in Canada where I am, that's 57%. So that means even more than half is going to the government for taxes. So right. with that being said, you get left with so little. Yeah. By the time you start paying your expenses to earn that, you don't have that much left. Let's say after expenses and everything, you might have a couple hundred grand left. If you're consumerism, now suddenly oh, I can buy my fancy cars. I'm going to buy a bigger house. And guess what? You increased your expenses, so that gets eaten up there too. Next thing you know, you're a million-dollar earner, and you're living paycheck to paycheck and don't know how. And that's usually the story we hear. But now if you take that and you invest your money, don't buy your Ferrari. Don't buy, your Fer- don't buy consumer products with earned income. That, that, that's the simplest way. Now do what you do. Like this, we're, I'm going to leeway here into the multifamily. Now I don't believe in single family homes. And my reason is you got one rent, one income, they stop paying rent, you're screwed. Where exactly. that's where you get in the multifamily. You can do joint ventures. And now the point is when you're investing your money, you're putting into an asset class that's going to constantly grow. So now when you have enough passive income coming to you, from that investment, which you're going to pay dividends, which is 25% tax, not 55% or seven, whatever, you can use your passive income towards that car, towards that house, because that's money that keeps coming in because it's passive and it's passive because you invested in it. Use your income, earned income to get into an investment and use your investment to live your lifestyle. That's the recommendation. And I'm sure you saw that through your own experiences, get into why multifamily and how you got into that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, real quick to touch base on that last point before transitioning. I just want to say like, even, even when you go and, and start to buy those, those things with the passive income, it's still like, you think like, I'll give you an example. I went and bought a really nice Rolex and for the first month, it was like the coolest thing. 
right? Bought a nice Corvette for the first month or two. It was like the coolest thing, right? Then you just get, then you just get desensitized to it. It becomes just whatever, right? And so it's so easy to kind of get caught up in that materialistic rat race of buying the nice stuff. But I tell you, there's nothing that can make you more happy than, than building incredible experiences with incredible people and relationships. It's irreplaceable, you know? And so even, even still for me, like trying to build the passive income to buy the materialistic things, it, it only keep, makes you happy for like a month or two. And then you're just like, all right, this is whatever. So <laughs> hey, if it's a month or two, you're one of the lucky ones. What's that? I said, if it lasts you a month or two, you're one of the lucky ones. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. it's usually a lot quicker than that. Now, look, when I tell people that I'm not telling them because I'm this uh, online guru. I'm not telling you because I wish, I wish, I wish, and you know, and I'm going by my uh, theories that I read on YouTube or online or whatever. I'm telling you because I was that guy, that guy that made the big bucks. I was, and in fact, I wasn't playing seven figures. I was playing eight and I had all the fancy dancy things. You want to talk cars? Name the brand, name the car. I've had one of each. Yeah. And uh, I have none of them now. And where did I end up? Broke and starting all over. Now I've recovered. But the point is, I started, did well, went bankrupt, started again, did really well, went broke, started again. Now the only differences between before and then is I learned my lesson. Exactly. So to answer your other question on just on multifamily, I think multifamily was really what, what started it all just by really by circumstance. Um, it was just right time, right place. And that's really what spawned the creative process of doing something once to get paid for a long period of time. Right. So it really all started with multifamily doing as a GP actively doing deals. Right. Then I had a couple shekels to my name. I was able to become an LP, become a passive investor in a couple deals. All right. So that was going well. Then I, um, then, you know, just a completely different asset class, but similar model was I built out a really large Ethereum mining warehouse, right? Do a big deal, get paid day, every single day. All these little GPUs are paying me rent in Ethereum. I did that for about a year and a half. I got a question. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing to unpack, but um, cryptocurrency mining. Got it. Mining, yep, mining Ethereum, and that was... That was by far, I mean, it didn't last, right? Like you can't mine Ethereum anymore today, but at the time that was by far the best cash on cash return I've ever had in any investment period. But, um, and then um, a good buddy of mine was doing self storage development. So put a, put a nice passive check into his company, you know? So really just multifamily opened up the door to the mindset of, of cash flow. Really doing deals for cash flow, not being, I think when you get caught up in the day to day of, you know, um, non cash flow opportunity vehicles, let's just say, yeah, let's just say, for example, you like had a marketing agency or something like that, right? And it, you charge $20,000 upfront versus, um, you know, having some type of MRR, having some type of rev share, having some type of SaaS model. Right, upfront cash versus monthly recurring cash flow. Um, I'll choose the cash flow, you know. So that's really what opened up the model for me. Got it, got it, got it. Now, when most people, they st- let's be honest, most people start off with what? A condo, single family home. Yep. Maybe if they're lucky, a duplex. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, everybody, a lot of people talk about Robert Kiyosaki and his uh, rich dad, poor dad. And usually that's where they get the idea of starting with a single family home. 
So based on what we just talked about, you just bypass that. Now, I think that was a smart move. But uh, again, I just said earlier, I don't like single family homes. But I'll tell you, that's the way I started because I didn't know any better, right? I didn't think of it. Um, and I was surrounded by that. My parents were landlords. So I've been surrounded by single family homes because that's all they ever bought. It was just perceived, oh, apartment buildings? Oh, uh, you know, six plexes and all that? Oh, those are for rich people. That's not for yeah. us, right? Like that's, that's the mentality. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's easier to acquire those bigger assets than it is to acquire a single family home just based on qualifications. Yeah, hundred percent. And the other thing too, with doing bigger deals is there, the, the pie is larger and there's more slices when it's a bigger pie, there's more slices to the pie. And so the first model we got, I got involved in was what we call syndications and you know, for better or for worse, you know, really the, the large component to that is like, let's say you don't have any money. Well, what can you bring to the table? Are you a good networker, right? Can you pick up the phone and start calling brokers to find deals? Because I can guarantee if you can find a home run of a deal, there's likelihood that you can get your name on that deal by bringing it to the right operator to close, right? Let's say you have a, a network to raise money from. You might not have money, but you have a network, right? So there's all point being like when you start looking at bigger deals, there's all types of different value streams to insert yourself in front of to get a piece of that deal, right? And so for me, it really comes down to just the simple cliche, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, right? Doubling, doubling down on your strengths, using that to apply and insert yourself into a deal. And, you know, the single family house, it's just not big enough. It's not a big enough deal, you know? There's not enough pieces of that pie to go around. Yeah, yeah, because then you know you're playing with small money and uh, tell somebody to put in a hundred thousand dollars so they can make fifty bucks. I don't think that's very encouraging. Exactly. Right. So yeah, exactly. I agree with you on that. And um, I don't know if I want to say that it was brave for you to get into that without even getting into the single family, or if that was, uh, you know, I mean, smart. Because in a way, it depends how you do it, right? Like lack of experience, most people wouldn't know this which is the benefit of having podcasts because this is how you can learn from it, right? Listening to others. So love that. Love that. So now you got into cryptocurrency and clearly you got out of cryptocurrency. Now, what was the inspiration to get into it, right? Because let's be honest, it's kind of new or was new. You know what I mean? And anything is possible. Now, I'm very biased and I'm about to show you how biased I am. I think that uh, cryptocurrency is like going to uh, Vegas and going to the casino and rolling that dice. The only difference is rolling the dice is a lot more fun, <laughs> but that's my perspective of it. And yeah. part of it is, you know, stupidity from lack of education. And sure. part of it is that uh, goes back to the old traditional, don't invest into things I don't understand. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Sticking to the things that you know. I mean, that's, and that's ultimately the reality too, is the overwhelming majority of people that get into it are just using it as a, as a place to gamble. They don't actually understand what they're touching, right? And that's the concerning part. For me, I went back to my hometown, visited a buddy who I had done a real estate deal with. And uh, I went to one of his, he has quite a few different properties. I went to one of his properties and he quit. He had rent a long-term lease in this four bedroom house. And instead of renewing that lease, he started mining Ethereum in the entire house. And I just remember seeing, like walking into this house and it looked like something out of a movie. And um, I, I had never seen anything like it before. I was just like, what in the heck is going on? I'm like, how much money are you making doing this, dude? And he pulls up his, his operating system and he shows me how much money he's making. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like it before. you know. And um, I didn't really know a whole lot about it, but I was just like, 
I just kind of guys like, all right, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, I want to try this. And so I had some cash and uh, just started setting up my own shop from there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not basically monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just able to see in the other thing too, like <laughs> this is also kind of funny too. I mean, this is a whole nother conversation just on entrepreneurship when investing in opportunity vehicles in general. But I mean, one of the, one of the, I think one of the most challenging things that we ever face as investors and entrepreneurs is the shiny objects, right? As you be, as you become more successful, you're going to be, you're going to face way more shiny opportunities, right? And so you got, you got a buddy over here and what he's doing is looks so much better than what you're doing, right? Until you actually get into the thing and, and oh, yeah, I'm making all this money, but oh, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, you got to do this and you got to do this and this has to work out and you got to do this. You're like, oh shit, <laughs> right? And so it's always, it's never greener. It's it, the grass is greener where you water it, you know? Yep. And so granted that were, it did work out really, really well. And I'm glad, um, I, I made that, that focus shift for that period of time. Um, and it worked out really well as a fantastic investment, but yeah, it was just, it was a shiny object shift for me, for sure. Which brings up the question is how do you decide what to get involved in and what not to get involved in? And I don't mean just businesses, right? Because even investing in a uh, property is some form of an art or some form of calculation and, you know, numbers work and stuff. You know, you don't just throw the money at the wall, hope it sticks and makes money. So there, there, there is a certain selection process. So, you know, take us through how, you, you know, what your decision uh, process is like. Yeah, for sure. So first and foremost, um, you know, just from an underwriting perspective, like the financial model has to make sense. And I mean, I get presented opportunities every single day from friends or family members or whatever. And really, the one of the easiest questions you can ask to find if somebody's serious is, okay, cool, show, show me the finance, show me the models, show me the financial models. If they don't have their numbers, they really haven't put any thought into that opportunity, into that investment, into that whatever it is, right? So, financial model, like making sure the numbers actually make sense, it, it, you know, first and foremost. Uh, number two, I, I did only like high ticket stuff. Like I would rather sell something once for a million bucks than something a hundred times over, you know, for, for whatever amount. Right. So high ticket, um, has to be high ticket, has to be cat, has to have cash flow involved. Um, and then it also has to, I have to be able to insert myself in a place where it matches my strengths. Right. And I think this goes into another deeper conversation just about like, partnerships in general, right? Like you never want, you never want to partner with somebody who's the exact same as you, right? What's the point? Why, why would you have two of you in a business partnership that you're, let's just say you're splitting it 50, 50, right? There's a, there's two of you, right? Right. So like ultimately you partner with your weaknesses or in, you know, equity is expensive. So honestly, like now at this place in my life, I prefer to hire than partner. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's quite a few components and then obviously your gut check, you know, I, I always said like, I don't, I don't, don't really like, couldn't really imagine myself doing business with somebody I wouldn't like just want to hang out with as a friend. That's an interesting perspective. Cause be, some people look at it and say, don't invest with your friends or don't like do business with your friends. Yeah, I get that too. Um, I think for me, I have a very different approach to my friendships and my relationships. You can ask, 
you can ask anyone, you can ask my, my lady, you can ask my friends. I, I have the saying, um, what you tolerate, you invite, right? And so yeah. if, I, if I'm willing to tolerate somebody's, if I'm willing to tolerate a bad attitude, if I'm willing to tolerate somebody disrespecting me, if I'm willing to tolerate X, Y, Z, like I'm, I'm willing to invite that into my life, right? And so I have very, very um, strict standards and boundaries around all my relationships, right? With a significant other or friends. And so um, given that, yeah, I have a pretty tight circle. <laughs> yeah. I have a pretty tight circle, you know? So, you know what? I believe that as well. And that's why I don't mind investing with friends. In fact, most times, most of the stuff that comes to me are through friends because the way I look at it is that if someone's actually your friend, they're not there to screw you. So if someone's trying to take advantage of you, they weren't your friend to begin with. They're just looking for an opportunity to do that. That's the way I look at it. You can have disagreements and still be respectful. And if you're having a disagreement and being respectful, I don't see the relationship being tarnished. hundred percent, hundred percent. And the way, and you know, just to piggyback off that, like, the reality is, especially in this day and age, I think friendships in general are so surface level. You know, oh, how you doing? Well, you want to go grab a beer? You want to go do this? Da da da. Look, if I if we can't make money together, I don't really think we need to be friends. You know, I don't, I'm not really interested to to hear about the weather. I'm not interested in having a conversation about so and so sports team. It doesn't it doesn't really get me to where I'm trying to go next. You know. I want to have conversations with friends about money, about, you know, things that actually impact our lives, you know? So yeah, you brought up a good point there, right? That's another thing that uh, I believe as well. And I'm not just trying to be a yes man here. Let's be clear because I believe that the relationship you have in high school and the relationship you have throughout university, if you go to university and the relationship you have later on in life, it, constantly adapts and changes the people you talk to today won't be the people you talk to tomorrow not unless you're just as stale as you are today right because you know you're either growing or dying and that's the reality so chances are if you have the same 10 friends you had from university it's because you all bombed right it's less like because there's no way that uh, all 10 of you succeeded right usually it's a small percent that grow and then most people go the opposite way and it doesn't mean like that forever in life but Nobody grows at the same time, at the same pace, all the together. That's just usually not the way it is. And so where I'm going with this is not to bash friends here, but the point is that you have what I call a growth mindset. So yeah. you're always looking to grow and you're always surrounding yourself with people who can elevate you. And when they elevate you, then you go to another level, therefore depleting the stock you had from before. So Again, it's not a personal thing where I think people are bad or anything like that. It's just that you're a different mindset. Like you said, you don't talk on, a, on about sports. You don't talk, you know, like it's, I'm the same way. Most conversations bore me. And it, and a lot of people, you know, even think that applies with, oh, it doesn't apply to family. No, no, it applies to everybody. There's certain family members that you can respect and be kind to. You see them at a wedding. That's great. That's fine and dandy. Be polite. I'm not saying, you know what I mean? But it's not. You don't necessarily have to subject yourself to negativity just because you were, uh, you know, born in the same family. Like that, that's just a cop out excuse to not do anything about your circumstance, as far as I'm concerned. So I agree with you on that, and and that's the thing, right? So I, I like talking to people who, uh, you know, looking for opportunities. It doesn't necessarily mean it's somebody who will invest with me, or necessarily somebody who'll be a part of my business. But even if, if it's someone I can that can be a sounding board where I can run ideas. And it's not uh, always, oh, that's garbage. That'll never work. You know, yeah. or, you know, 
like you know it's not that kind of conversation it's a conversation where saying hey even constructive criticism and say hey you got a great idea but putting this here nobody sees it but you put it in front of the camera the brand is exposed now more people will buy it hey that's a great idea i didn't think of that that is constructive criticism something that's applicable Right. But just to tell me, oh, that's garbage, it's not going to work. That does not help me. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so right. So that was really a nugget. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's one of those things, you know, I, you hear everyone say it. You know, everyone, everyone says the cliche. You're the, you're the culmination of the five people you surround yourself with the most. But yet, majority of people surround themselves with others that don't excel them in any way, shape, or form. You know, and so for me, it's it's really as simple as, as do the people. Am I in, am I truly inspired by the people I surround myself with, in some facet, right? Because everyone kind of has a little bit different of a race, and they're all in a little bit different of a season. Meaning, yep. you know, just because this, just because I may, maybe I make more money than so and so, doesn't mean I can't be inspired by him in his health in his relationships, in his network, in his faith, whatever it is. And so, you know, I, but I just think there has to be, and, and you, a lot of people can call this selfish or narcissistic or whatever, but I just personally feel like there has to be at least one component that truly inspires me when I surround myself with you or with, with whomever, um, to have a seat at the table, you know, because there's only so many seats at the table. <laughs> there's only so many seats you know so yeah well i believe that as well and look prime example i'm going away for the whole month of uh september right i'm gone like i now some of it is business well what ends up happening is there's a business element and i chose to extend my stays everywhere i went to be uh, so i can you know go out and take some personal time on top of that but where i'm going with this is who am i going with nobody by myself that was intentional that was on purpose I didn't want to go with anyone because when I go with someone, now it means I'm obligated to hang out there. So if I have something I want to venture off to, I can't, right? So where I chose, I'm going for the purpose. I mean, take the business portion out of it. I'm going for the purpose of I want to explore. Me, You know what? I'm going, like, prime example, I'm going to, uh, for half my uh, September, I'm going to be in Florida. Yeah. I made uh, connections over there. I made friends over there. So why bring someone from Toronto with me when I can go and meet the people there? And oh, yeah. I have nothing against the people here. It's not what I mean by it, but it's like, you know, like I'm, I'm exploring. I had people that uh, I'm building a network there for my real estate, right? Because I have inv- investment opportunities there. Want to meet some people there that can help me because I need people to look over it when I'm not there because I'm not from there. Exactly. There's opportunities and that's what I'm there. I'm using this as an opportunistic trip. Yep. And that's what I mean by it. And there's nothing wrong with that. So things take you in different areas. And you got to know what who fits in that area and who doesn't. I, I read a book called Who, Not How. And I think that's the key component to everything in life. So many times, and this is my breakdown, and I think some of it is kind of comical, but it's true, is that um, you have your why guys. And those are usually the ones that really get nowhere. Well, they know why you're doing it, but they're still watching you. They're not doing right. it with it, right? Because it's why. that They're so worried about why, they take no action. So there's yep. usually the uh, analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis. You have the how people who just want to go, 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 go and do it all themselves. That's fine too, because some people call those practitioners. They get stuff done too, but at what level? Nobody's ever built an empire without collaborating with somebody or building with somebody. So the question you should be asking is not why, not how, but who do I need to know? Who do I need to meet today? 
who's got my money, right? As someone famous says, <laughs> right? And that's really the right question. It's like, who do I need to interact with today that will get me where I need to go? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I say that all the time. Like, <clears throat> you don't need to be you don't need to be the smartest, right? You don't need to know how to do all these things. You just need to know who can, right? You don't really, you don't want to be the master of all. You really don't. And so, yeah, no, I definitely resonate with that a lot for sure. So going forward, what does your future look like? I mean, nobody knows for certain, but we all have objectives and goals. Like, like I'm not sure how many properties you have now, but like what's, what's not the end goal, but what's, I would say the next five years look like. Yeah, great question. Um, I've been working with quite a few funds, Reg A plus funds that are $25 million funds that invest in um, a collective of assets, right? So I don't know, are you familiar with like 506B, 506C syndications and Reg A's, all that Ironically, stuff? Ironically, I am, but not for the reason you would think. I'm building my fund right now. I yeah. started off with building it on the Canadian side, but I mean, my yeah. intention was American side. So I had to yeah. kind of learn it. I mean, I'm not an expert on it by any chance, but uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things I at least understand what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure what it's like, if how different the regulation is over in Canada versus here. Here, but well, it's very simple. Our regulations are very similar to the uh, to yeah. Americans. They're different names. Like you guys okay. label everything by numbers. We have names for yeah. everything. What changes is your 1031 exchange. We do not have gotcha. that in Canada. It's fuck you, pay your taxes. We're the same. That's hilarious. Oh man, I love that. Yeah, I've been, uh, anyways, yeah, I've been wor- done a handful of my own 506B and 506C deals, worked with a handful of other people's reggae funds. I'd like to have my own reggae fund that I'll be working towards and um, to do deals out of. Absolutely. I get that. That's awesome, right? That's awesome. That's like next level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then, you know, really the ultimate, the ult- I think one thing that, I mean, you tell me, you tell me your opinion. I personally think the ultimate goal for any real estate operator is to accumulate the liquidity and the net worth just to be a key principal. And all you do is sign on the dotted line for a large commercial loan based on your liquidity, your net worth, and your experience. You help secure the loan and you get a percentage of the deal. That's what I would like to to work towards. That's true passive income and you have to be at a certain level to get there. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a level for sure. Yeah. Now most people, what they do is they start corporations and uh, they have employees to do it. Yeah. Right. That's really what it comes down to. You get a property manager, you pay him properly. Hey, you know what? I believe, I believe like, look, so many businesses out there look at your, at their employees as expenses right? right? and they look at them as expenses because the government says you get to write them off. Yeah. But I think that's the wrong approach. Now, yeah. I don't mind paying a property manager. If the average out there is 80000 I don't mind paying them 110 sure. and The reasoning is that if you're paying that extra, they're getting paid almost at uh, next level kind of pay. Okay. And they know that if you fire them or when you fire them in some cases, that they're not going to get that again and that their lifestyle is going to drop. So they're not right. going to want to steal from you. They're going to want to make sure they take care of that property because you'll want to keep it as long as it's earning. And as long as it's earning and you keep it, they're constantly employed. Right. So- in a right. way, you're paying the additional for that uh, that uh, trust benefit, and I right. believe that. And I, and again, I'm not saying you have to pay everybody everything all the time, right? But the, like the numbers have to make sense at the end of the day, regardless. But 
And that's what I like about bigger deals. Bigger deals gives you that opportunity. So, yeah. So I, I, I believe, you know, ultimately it's either you're doing the work or you're paying someone to do the work. And if you're not paying them properly, then you'll do have to do the work to fix what they screwed up. So yep. that's just to pay them right, get it done. And then, and then again, when you have enough of them, you have enough managers, enough people uh, taking care of things that, again, you built that uh, fund. So that's the long-term goal. You're right. A CEO's job should be acquisition, acquisition and policy. Beyond that, they should not know anything. That's my view. Yeah. So love that. All right. So now, what would you tell a person looking to get into the business that they don't have a single property, they just got their first job, they want to get into the business, they're interested, they're curious. Um, this podcast either has scared them away or inspired <laughs> them. And uh, they, they're thinking, okay, well, you know what? I heard everything you said and everything I've learned was all wrong. So what should I do? What would you say to that person? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think, I mean, my, my, my journey into it was quite a bit unorthodox. Like I, I still, to this day, I've never owned a single family house, right? I don't really care to. It doesn't really, doesn't really bother me. I think, I think that whole ego thing of, oh, I got my house or whatever is a bunch of crap, but um, so I guess my unorthodox would, advice would be to, number one, go network, go find people who are actively doing deals and humble yourself, go work, go offer to work for free for 30 days. That's what I would probably do. You can find some, an, an operator who's crushing some commercial deals, whether they're buying, whether they're acquiring multifamily, they're, they're acquiring self-storage or developing it and you can network into their, their world, humble yourself, say, hey man. I'm dying to learn the business. I know you you don't really have a whole lot to, to gain, but I want to come work for you. I'll work for you for free for 30 days. And I can guarantee you, you'll learn more doing that, something along those lines than YouTube University would ever teach you. <laughs> um, you know, and and really, I mean, real estate, real estate is a game of networking anyways. So, you know, building your network and, and at least understanding how to build your network, understanding like how to introduce yourself, how to hold an engaging conversation, understanding what questions to ask that leads to a good conversation, understanding how to carry yourself in a room respectfully, things like that are going to go a long way if you're looking to get in the business. Love that. Now I'm going to touch upon another sensitive topics to some people. What are your uh, opinions on conferences? There's so many out there that, uh, you know, multifamily conference, then there's uh, home shows. Anyways, all kinds of conferences where someone's going to uh, teach you something. Now, let's be honest, some of them are uh, pathetic and, uh, you know, it's really just for the organizer to make money. It's got nothing to do with you. But there's some that are actually pretty good out there. But either case, where does it fall in for someone who's interested in learning the business? Yeah, I think every, I mean, I just, I think anything in life is what you make out of it, right? If you go and spend a thousand dollars to go to a conference and you write down all these notes, you add 50 people on LinkedIn from the conference, and then two weeks later, nothing happens then it's a giant waste, right? But if you, if you pick up, let's say you picked up three valuable things that you can start doing tomorrow from that conference and you go home and you actually do those things and you meet 10 people at that conference and you pick up the phone and call every single one of those 10 people to set up a coffee meeting, to set up a 10 minute Zoom meeting, to have a conversation with them, to start networking with them. Right? You can take away and create anything you want out of any circumstance, right? But most people don't. 
And so I think the whole conference thing, like I call it mental masturbation. <laughs> you know, they're, they're oftentimes these conferences are, they're easy to go to. They're easy to be at. They're fun. You can hang out, have some drinks, do the thing. Right. And mentally it makes them think that they're accomplishing something mentally. It makes people think, Oh, I'm making progress. I'm doing something. And then, but nothing happens. They just go home and wait for the next conference. And, and shame on you, you know. That's kind of how I feel about that whole model. Yep, yep, I agree. Now, as I don't knock the conference itself. It's just the fact that people generally don't act on it. Exactly. Awesome, dude. And that is amazing. So I'm going to have a couple of questions, and I'm going to get into what I call uh, the lightning round. Let's hit it. All right, second last question is, how do you know you've had a successful day? Win the morning, win the day. So win the morning for me is getting up at the right time, getting getting my exercise in, getting my busy work done, um, just really knocking off the, the two or three core components to my day. And if I can win enough days, I can win the week, I can win enough weeks, I win the month, and I win the year. So it's just compounding consistent habits on top of each other. Love that. All right. Last but not least is if someone wants to reach out to you, find more, you know, get more information off you, I don't know, interested in working with you or whatever, and they just want to figure out where you are and how to reach you, where would they go? Yeah. So I've got nothing to sell to anybody. So uh, if you just want to check out my stuff, hang out, be friends, you can find me at Chad Whitfeld on Instagram and Facebook. Fantastic. All right, let's get into the lightning round with question number one is what is your favorite food? Sushi. Simple. Simple. I won't even, <laughs> I won't even ask you why because I think that's self-explanatory. <laughs> awesome. Uh, favorite vacation spot? Oh, geez. Never been there. <laughs> There's so many good ones, uh, I guess. Well, if you had to pick a typical, like what would a typical vacation look like for you? beach sun yeah i'm a big outdoors guy so i like the mountains i ride a lot of snowmobiles and dirt bikes so a weekend in the mountains is is a good place for me there you go all right favorite podcast or book favorite book of all time how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie love that it's a a yearly read for me so once a year i'll read that book love that one that one's amazing awesome last but not least if you had unlimited amount of money and you had 48 hours to spend it. What you spend, you get to keep. What you don't gets taken away. What would you do? So I have unlimited amount of money to spend in 48 hours. And yeah, so I basically somebody it. said, I'll fund whatever you want to do, but you got two days to do it and you go do whatever you want and I'll pay the bill. What would you go do? I would make as many outrageous cash close offers on real estate as I possibly could. I'd make irresistible offers that nobody could say no to. I'd overpay for everything just to acquire a deal. And yeah, that'd be that. (laughs) There you go. That's creative in itself. (laughs) (laughs) Love that, man. Love that. Sticking to the craft, right? I mean, (laughs) then I I get the property, right? Who cares if I overpay for it? It's unlimited money. It doesn't matter. I get the property and I get to keep the multiplier on the backside. So. Well, indirectly, you bought a printing press. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So print all the cash you want at that point. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Love that. Love that. Thanks so much for being on the show, man. It's been phenomenal. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. If you like what you saw, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to The John Papaloni Show.